Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Time to get out of the cold and hit Orlando for Dev Intersection? What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. March 25th to 28th at the Swan Hotel in Orlando for another great Dev Intersection. All your favorites are going to be there, including Scott Guthrie and Scott Hanselman. Ah, the greater and lesser Scott. Yes. And if sequel is your thing, Paul Randall and Kim Tripp are, as usual, running an awesome set of sequel sessions. And this year at Dev Intersection, we have a special emphasis on new artificial intelligence technologies, including deep learning, cognitive services, and more. And of course, all the latest web tech, Angular, C Sharp, Visual Studio, all your favorites. So go to devint.netrocks.com right now and register. Sign up for a workshop as well, and you'll get some cool hardware. We'll see you there. Hey, London! It's .NET Rocks! <laughs> the miming of beating people with chairs is very effective. I yeah, like it that is. a lot. Yeah. It works well. It gets them all rowdy. Yeah. Londoners don't need encouragement, though. No, this they're, all, they're all a pretty rowdy bunch, actually. Absolutely. You guys are awesome. Rowdy. Yeah. Uh, okay. A little late. But Delayed rowdy. response. Yeah, no, if if we, we said Man City Rocks, what would happen? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, see? Uh, instant <laughs> violence. Just like, violence. Just instant like violence. that. <laughs> <laughs> So welcome to .NET Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. This is Richard Campbell. Our guest, Bill Wagner and John Skeet. You probably know who they are, so I won't need to introduce them. But we do have this thing that we do at the beginning of the show. It's called Better Know a Framework. So roll that music. All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, earlier in the week, as in yesterday, Mm -hmm. but I'm talking about for the listener, this probably a couple of weeks ago. Yep. We were talking about blockchain and Bitcoin and all of these things, right? Yeah, Jennifer Wadello is talking about wanting to to buy some some Bitcoin processors. Right. And there seems to be a consensus that nobody really needs blockchain developers. You don't need any blockchain in your application. That would be a bad idea. However... Business Insider seems to think that there's a growing list of applications and use cases of blockchain technology in business and life. And uh, I'll, I'll read what they, you know, you can read on the details uh, at this link here. Sure. But, uh, so in bl- banking and finance, international payments, capital markets, uh, trade finance, regulatory compliance and audit because of the secure nature of blockchain, be rather useful for accounting and audit. Uh, money laundering protection, not one that really uh, <laughs> seems to be working out. all that well it right does, now. It seems yeah. to be the opposite, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? The money laundering. But um, so I'm not really sure how they're coming up with these things, but um, insurance, peer to peer transactions, in business, supply chain management, healthcare, uh, real estate, media, energy, in government, record management. Yeah. Government, record management and government. You mean they manage records? Oh, I wait, don't I'm even talking about they... the United States. I'm not said. Yeah, I mean, I, I can else. only speak for my yeah. stupid country. Uh, hey, 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 it's easy. Uh, Id- <laughs> identity management, voting, taxes, nonprofit agencies, uh, legislation, compliance, regulatory oversight, and in other industries, financial management and accounting, shareholder voting, record management, cybersecurity, big data, data storage, Internet of Things. Voting? Did I say voting? Yeah. You said I voting, mean, yeah. Th- so they really think that that this stuff is going to explode. And apparently there's a be- uh, been a lot of hiring of quote-unquote blockchain developers, people that can actually write code against blockchain, not necessarily for Bitcoin, but just to, to you know do the comp- computations to have and an the algorithmically and driven uh, publicly visible yeah. if anonymized transactional record that's right all right yeah so you know it's interesting read well it's I'm certainly on my radar for doing shows around but I really want to wait until there's some 
better dev kits, some SDKs and stuff around it, so we really have some place for people to That's go. That's pretty smart. That's what I'm thinking. So who's talking to us, buddy? Uh, grab the comment off a show, 1479, the one we did with Mr. Skeet <laughs> back in September of 2017. We were talking about .NET Diagnostics. I think that was at the Skills Matter show. Yep. Had a lot of fun in that conversation. But uh, John being John, uh, we ended up talking actually a lot about inclusion. Yeah. And Better than I thought. No, no, dude, I'm going to make fun of you later. First, I'm going to say something nice to you (laughs) to get you off your guard. (laughs) Then I'm going to beat you up. Like, there's a pattern here. Uh, But this comment comes from Kudos, and I don't know that I'm pronouncing her name correctly, but she's from Pakistan, and she says, as always, great episode and love listening to John Skeet. In the mid-90s in Pakistan, I was trying to figure out what to do with my life, and somehow, totally coincidentally, I ended up in the computer science degree program. I had never owned a computer or a gaming computer before that. I was anything but a geek. Somehow, I still fell in love with programming and the field as a whole. Today, I still spend most of my time coding. That last bit about empathy and respect and inclusiveness this is your words, my friend, uh, really hit home with me on a totally different angle. Everywhere I went, and this is, I think, after she's involved in software development, everywhere I went, geeks love Star Wars, Star Trek, and Lego. Look, you can't love Star Wars and Star Trek at the same time. There's basic rules here. Actually, you can, uh, I think. Uh, all the references seemed like inside jokes to me. I understood tech, hmm. but I felt like an outsider. Hmm. Until only a few years ago, I felt very insecure about this and would not write a comment like I am writing here today now, which hmm. I'm flattered by that you would write on our, our website. Did she use the force or teleport? I don't think I'd... she did either one. Yeah, no? especially. Okay. The point raised by Skeet about women in tech is much bigger than what I have experienced, but it's all the little things that we do, the little assumptions that we make that can push others away and that we all need to do a better job of observing. Hmm. Thank you for being vocal about it, Mr. Skeet. Cool. And on that Star Wars and Star Trek front, uh, I know there are studies around workplace and what you do in your workplace. And if if your workplace is covered in posters and models and things that you think are just kind of fun... Um, and all about Star Trek, for example. Right. And if someone comes in and they're not a Star Trek fan, they don't think, oh, this person likes Star Trek. They think, this isn't a space where I'm welcome. Right. Um, this isn't uh, for me. Which is, exactly. Yeah. So it, it's all unconscious. It's not, it's not that someone's saying, we only want Star Trek fans in our team. Right. It's just that's the message that is unconsciously and you know, entirely accidentally. You know, no one wants to give that. I, doubt that anyone hands up if you want your team to only be star trek fans or star wars fans <laughs> 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 there's a few cultists yeah. in this room what yeah. if you're actually that kind of guy you know, that uh, kind of place we then, are a star trek then there are other issues shop. i would say now, i'm coming but, at this from a team management perspective mm-hmm. and i would never suppress anybody's desire to decorate their workspace the way they want to but i think what you're describing also is at a point where we simply say this is the room that I would argue I'd want each person's space to be decorated a little bit differently so that it showed a diversity rather than uh, a homogeny. Right, which is good if you've got a diversity. Yeah. If you have a team that all <laughs> like the same thing, then you end up with Yeah, don't be surprised that you have a hard time finding anything else. Yeah. yeah, and this is one of the good things about working from home. You can decorate your home office however you like, and no one will ever know. This well, it all depends on what you wear when has, you head out has of the Holly house. Seen, has Holly seen the, the shed? <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure about that? <laughs> hey, no inside jokes over here. Nice. Right. So yeah, I, I, have, I work from home in my shed, and my shed has uh, a surround sound system, an ice cream maker, a Miro print, and these are probably not things that you get in the everyday now, shed. When you yeah. say shed, <laughs> uh, what a exactly on, on are a you talking about? Like a tin shed <laughs> kind yes. of? No, so, so it's, uh, it's a garden building yes. that is separated into two halves. There's I one see. half has like the lawnmower and stuff in. The, and the other part. is really a home office. It's yeah. a tiny house. And it's so let me, let me close this up by saying kudos. Thank you so much for your comment. It was a pleasure to read it. And I'd love to send you a .NET Rocks mug. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We power our warp drives with them. Nice. They look like dilithium crystals. Sorry. <laughs> Very sorry. 
All right, guys, should we have a talk about something? Do you need or to introduce there? these two? I don't think we do. I don't really think. No, no, Does no, anybody no. not know who either of these guys are? Bill Wagner? Did I title the session correctly? Two nice C-sharp people. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll find because out. Because so often when you have a two-person panel, it's supposed to be confrontational. Right. And I can't imagine squeezing a confrontation out of you unless you put John in the front row. <laughs> then we get a confrontation. <laughs> I mean, I suppose we should just say John works for Google. And in the C-sharp on the Google Cloud platform area, mm -hmm. he's been a C-sharp fan. He's probably the number one contributor to Stack Overflow. Not probably. He's the first person in the history of man to exceed one million <laughs> reputation points. Million. And, and the next one down's not even close. Like, so you, you now have the billionaire's problem. You're going to make money faster than anybody can else make money. There's nothing you can do not from here quite on. True. We can kill you now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I do hit the rep cap. So I, I now answer only one or two questions a day generally. I spend much more of my time. I spend loads of time on Stack Overflow, but mostly adding comments saying, could you clarify your question? And, you know, here's the ways to do it. Right. Uh, but. In fact, just before coming up to this level, I was on Metastack Overflow where someone had said, who's, who's the person who in the blog post graph that Stack Overflow posted, it showed someone else, Gordon Ninoff, has answered very more questions. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, very linear yeah. and, you know, still basically answering the same number of questions every day as he did a few years ago, uh, mostly on SQL, I think. Yeah. And, uh, the, the question was, when will they overtake John? And, the answer is they're about 300,000, 350,000 behind at the moment. Amir. Um, yeah. And they're gaining at uh, about 50,000 a year, mm -hmm. which is very significant because basically we both hit the rep cap every day. Or I'm not sure that Gordon actually hits the rep cap from votes every day, uh -huh. but gets loads of accepted answers. Okay. Right. Whereas I hit the rep cap, I've hit the rep cap every day since June 2010. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, as you do, um, they put well, the rep, you do the rep cap inside the documentation was for John Skeet. Well, it, yeah. it really is at this stage. If you, uh, we had, uh, I asked a question on Metastack Overflow saying, isn't it a bit coincidental that before we knew what rep would be like, you know, in the first months of Stack Overflow, the rep cap was set to 200 a day, you know, sounds a nice round number. What are the chances that we got that right? Yeah. And that all the rules were right. Shouldn't we have a look at you know, various tweaks? Maybe you should stop getting rep after a certain number of votes or after a certain amount of time. And various people played with various ways of tweaking the rep cap. And pretty much whatever you did uh, helped me and hurt other people. Everybody else. Um, yeah. yeah. Jeff Atwood's called it the John Skeet tax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's well, just the way it is. Let's uh, talk about Bill Wagner for a minute. Bill's mm. been a C-sharp author and developer for many, many years. Effective C-sharp. Consultancy, best-selling mm -hmm. book. Um, I was a regional director and then joined the Borg. I'm sorry, did I make yes. another Star Trek <laughs> nice. reference? Um, so he now works on the .NET Core content team, right? Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Doing Docs the team. best documentation ever done in the history of software, I think. We try. No, it's you succeed. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. So we thought we'd geek out on a little C sharp. Is it C sharp done? Can I lead off there with after Rosalind? Where do you go? Yeah. Where do we go? Okay, so no, it's not done. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, and, you're out of a job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have no idea how big the backlog is. Yeah, bad. So a lot of the things that we're seeing that we're putting into C sharp, and the team is looking at come from a couple different places. And you've had Mads on here talking about language design and looking at it. Absolutely. And if you look at C Sharp, it was first being designed late 90s, early 2000s, mm -hmm. first shipped in 2002. We built programs using objects. You know, that that was the way, right? We it was very didn't object have a choice right. that things objects all the way down. Yeah. yeah, so it's objects all the way down. There, that object orientation is in its DNA. Mm -hmm. And... That's not really how we build programs now. I, I don't disagree. Right. It's, it's a, and I think we've it's a really interesting point that and we've kind of stepped away from these typical right. rules of object orientation. Now, there are still a lot of areas where object orientation makes sense, mm -hmm. but there are a lot of places where it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So with a lot of the features that we're adding in C Sharp, it's how does C Sharp stay really relevant in this world where now we're separating data and the functions that act on that data instead of putting them together in an object. Mm -hmm. 
And yet still, it has that object-oriented DNA. We can't just get rid of it and throw it away, mm-hmm. right? So how do we, we live in this world where things are now very different? You know, data is stored over here. We manipulate it over there. We send it to another machine. We hydrate it, send it off rest calls and so on. And we work with different languages in different parts of the program, mm-hmm. right? Um, Which also I don't find anomalous. No. In the sense that we've always had SQL in the back end right. and, and some other front-end language. So we're looking at a lot of features into how does it, stay relevant and stay a first-class language in in today's world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in my deck and in, in MADS, we have these two slides that show the most popular technologies, most loved technologies. And C-sharp is one of three things that are on both slides. Right. The other two are TypeScript and Python. Mm-hmm. You know, and how do we stay on both slides? We really want to do that. The other thing you're seeing a lot of good ideas come from is the C-sharp team now in a post-Roslyn world, they're now working in C-sharp every day. You know, in the pre-Roslyn world, they're writing C++ in their day jobs, coming up with what would be cool for C-sharp. But they weren't using it every day, all day, all right. the time. Mm. Now, the C-sharp team is writing in C-sharp, and they're using it all the time. They're going, wouldn't it be cool if? Yeah. And yeah. then they just make it happen. And we start prototyping and looking at it, and then going through language design. Is it design a common occurrence such. that you're, you guys are sitting around, you know, looking through the backlog, and just some random comment in GitHub or something uh, about a suggestion that nobody had thought of, like nobody? Or are the good ideas typically popular by the time you get around to... Um, I've usually blocked a request yeah. ages ago. Have there been anything um, like that you... Oh, wow, I didn't think of that. I mean, being John Skeet, had you not <laughs> considered something oh, that was... Uh, so uh, one of my great uh, experiences with uh, NDC Oslo... Many years ago, um, Eric Lippert was there, Neil Gafter was there, relatively new to the C-Sharp team at the time, and Mads Torgerson was there. And Mads did a talk on C-Sharp 4, followed by me doing a talk on uh, If I Ruled the World, C-Sharp 5 According to John. Nice. Um, in front of the actual C-Sharp team. It's like, <laughs> oh, wow. Um, followed by a panel discussion like this okay. um, with... You know, the three of them and me uh, feeling sort of out of my depth mm-hmm. by a long way. Uh, and none of what I asked for was in C-sharp 5. <laughs> and when I saw C-sharp 5, it's like, thank goodness they did that instead. Because wow. I would never have thought of async. It's sort of yeah. blood's paradox. Of yeah. You don't see your own restrictions, and it takes real genius to say, ah, oh, you know, th- there is this thing that no one's done before. I know async kind of things have been done in F-sharp before, but other other aspects that no one's done before. Someone's got to think of it first. Yeah. Um, and I'm definitely not nowhere near there. But I can think of little ideas. So you know, I have one feature request, which is uh, we have various things that end in a question mark. Now, why can't we have return question mark? So a binary operator or statement. So return question mark, um, condition, colon, expression, which means if this condition is true, return the value of that expression. Otherwise, just go on to the next line so that we don't have one of the most common forms of if statement is if this condition return a value, yes. if this condition return a value. Yeah. And just like uh, I've always, I'd always joked that it would be nice to have an as if expression, which is <laughs> if, you know, if x as int i. And now, of course, we have that with pattern matching. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping that you know, maybe the return question mark, you know, maybe return. We'll get some traction. Who knows? Interesting. You could implement it. I mean, the whole thing's open source now. You could just yeah. If I had an infinite amount of time, yeah, yeah. Stop answering all those Stack Overflow (laughs) questions, John. (laughs) And and we do actually get that. One of the ones in C Sharp Seven, I think, is when it came out, is was implemented entirely by the community, proposed and implemented by the community. Wow. In C Sharp Six, we had expression bodied members, Mm -hmm. but there were some places they weren't allowed. Like constructors, I think was one. Um, you'll remember um, exactly property what setters. Property setters or, and or getters. any property that had both get and set, you right. couldn't have both. And that hmm. c- people in the community said, why not? And then went and implemented it mm-hmm. as expression body members, uh, finalizers, constructors, property getters and setters. Hmm. Um, proposed by the community, right. approved by the language design team, PR written, boom. Nice. It's really cool. Yeah, that's got that's cool. to be a day that, that the team opened a bottle of champagne or something, too, when a, when yeah. a significant feature gets yeah. implemented yeah. By, yes. by somebody who's not on the team. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. But in terms of how far C-sharp can still go, this is a question that worries me quite a bit. For a start, you know, much as I enjoy writing about C-sharp, I would quite like to have the final edition of C-sharp in depth at some <laughs> yeah. point, and then maybe get around to writing something else. No. Yeah. At the moment, every couple of years, I'm going to have to spend a year writing the next, the next edition. Version. And yeah. at the moment, I can't even know when I'm going to be done with the current edition, because I'm trying to cover all of 7 Point Star, and they keep bringing out new versions. Sure, yeah. Um, You'll only know for sure when they start working on 8. But they oh, started they working on 8, but they're not going to release 8 for quite a while. Right. Yeah. And in the meantime, oh, it's just, just 7.3. Just some, just some stuff. Just, just, yeah. just some um, stuff. Stick a little bit. But I, I have serious uh, concerns around how large the language can grow. Right. Because if you are starting C Sharp today, you've got a big, big hill to climb. Sure. Right. Yeah, much and, larger you know, than It will only get bigger. Um, and at what point, what interests me as much as what would the team like to go back and change is if you were starting from a blank slate now. Yeah, what would Both with language and you know, if you really had magic dust and could say, and we'll have a new VM at this point as well. Right. That could do you know, it blank slate. Um, how different would it be and how much will that perfect language, well, you know, as perfect as we could imagine now, diverge from where C sharp goes no, because think, of well, legacy? There, well, there Some would say a, you'd end up at F sharp. Mm. Will there ever be a C sharp light? I, wow. By that, I, I mean, I don't think so. no, yeah, it's going to be no. a new language. Like a core. Yeah, I, I think that would be hard. There's yeah. billions of lines of C sharp code in the world. Yeah. I'm sorry, it's broke now. No, that's not going to yeah, happen. Yeah. My favorite example of something that the team decided not to break is uh, effectively a bug in the C sharp compiler um, in that it violates the spec hmm. that you can have const double. Zero equals zero point zero, mm -hmm. and then you can have enum foo with some enum values, and then you can do foo x equals, and then your double constant. You know, we made a promise on the show we would never read code on the air, <laughs> <laughs> but that was so, fourteen years ago. Yes, fifteen years ago. But guys, hold that thought just for a minute while we pause for this very important message. When you're building an application, you need it to be fast, secure and always evolving. With Kubernetes Engine on the Google Cloud Platform, developers can deploy fully managed, containerized apps quickly and easily. Google has been running production workloads in containers for over 15 years, and they build the best of what they learn into Kubernetes, the industry-leading open-source container orchestrator. Kubernetes Engine combines automatic scaling, updates, and reliable self-healing infrastructure with open source flexibility to cut down development cycles and speed up time to market. Learn more about Kubernetes Engine online at g.co slash getgke. That's g.co slash getgke. And we're back. You're listening to .NET Rocks. We're live in London. Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell, Bill Wagner, and John Skeet. We're talking, is, is it possible that C-sharp could ever get too big? Yes. So here's one of the things that I do. So my job is basically explaining what the team comes up with, right. writing all the docs for that. And one of the things I do with new features, you know, I sit down with the team, it's usually Julianne uh, Calvera, and we go over the features. And one of the things that I want to be able to say about any new feature is, okay, so here's what it does. And it works pretty much the way you'd think it would. And then I can go into all the details about how that works. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, I can go, see, it's pretty much what you think it would. Yeah. And the more those details are something different than pretty much how you think it would, mm. you know, those, those are warning signs that now we're getting complicated. But who is that you that you think it would? And is it someone with decades of experience right. and of other languages and stuff? Or is it someone who's learning C Sharp maybe as their first language? A little bit of both. Right, because you're you're seeing these tokens, you're seeing these things that look like symbols. You know, it, it's no surprise that the symbols we use in any programming language are somewhat similar or analogous to mathematical symbols, mm. right? because people are familiar with those. So we have this this thing that's already there, and you, you kind of squint, and it looks about right. And a couple of the ones that are really interesting that are historical, like when we added um, discards to tuples, so you can declare 
an underscore where a tuple goes, and then we throw that away, and we don't even assign it to anything, and it's not a variable. You can't look at it. And, and you can and have you can, two discards. You can have yeah, two discards. with underscores, whereas yeah. you can't assign uh, values so, to the same other right. variable. So, right. so effectively what this means... You can't have three discards, then you should have folded. Right. No, that's, that's, that's a different Texas hold'em. Right. So, so effectively what it means is this routine returns three or four things, and I only want one or two of them, and I'm yeah. throwing the rest away. Hmm. And... When designing the feature and getting feedback, there were people who were who were saying that underscore is too small. I can't see it. I I I want something bigger and more expressive. More there. obvious. And Neil Gafter had this absolutely perfect answer to this. He goes, "You want that right now because of what you're thinking. It's a new feature, and you want it to stand out. Right. Mm. But after a year you, from now, after you use it for a week or two, yeah. you don't want to see it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's this it's this trick with a mature language of getting something that looks different enough that you see it differently, but then, then it folds we'll right into the vocabulary that you already have. And that's a sign of Neil's experience. Too. It is. He's right. been it through is. this a few times. Yes. Another great example of that about how things change. Uh, when I wrote the, I think first edition of C Sharp in Depth, um, I was saying about VAR, you know, use it really carefully and be very deliberate about where you use VAR. I hardly ever use VAR apart from for right. link expressions or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Is anyone else in that? You know, you are really tentative about using VAR? I use it everywhere now. I'm not <laughs> quite everywhere. Yeah. Have you just Huge gotten reckless amount. in your old age now? Is that what it is? It, does a million much. rep points make you crazy? Is that what this is? <laughs> it's also reminds me of Java and checked exceptions. I felt very nervous when I came to C Sharp. It's sure. like, there are no checked exceptions. My code's going to be awful everywhere and break everywhere. What's I mean, a checked exception, John? <laughs> so checked exception is where the compiler, uh, there are some exceptions in Java that are checked and some that are unchecked. And if you've got to declare that your method might throw a checked exception, um, otherwise you can't throw it. And if someone is calling your method, then they've got to either catch that exception or declare that they might throw it as well. So otherwise, it won't compile. Is yeah. That the idea? So it's it's not just a comment saying this method can throw these exceptions. Yeah. It's enforced by the compiler. It's an assertion, essentially. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'm not sure. Well, maybe um, I don't know. But anyway, I I felt safe in this you know this seatbelt of but it was exceptions. fake. It was it fake. Was, it was yeah. an illusion. It didn't work. Yourself. Right. <laughs> uh, it was an experiment in Java. Effectively, lies told to children. <laughs> but I. <laughs> <laughs> Just declare your exceptions. It'll For be safe. Fun and profit. Null reference so, exception. And, and it's still a raging uh, argument in in the Java community whether it was a mistake or not. Right. And various. Certainly, last time I used Hibernate, which must have been ten years or more ago, um, most Hibernate exceptions were unchecked ones, so mm -hmm. they extended runtime exception, um, and. That was deemed fine, and it turned out that worked okay. But I was really nervous to start with. And now it feels like not having checked exceptions. Not having checked exceptions in the Java style was fine. Mm -hmm. um, I think we need better error handling, but I don't know what it is. Right. It's paradox again. Yeah. Um, but I feel very much the same way about VAR. I felt uncomfortable, so I was quite nervous about using it. And it turns out that the things I was nervous about aren't problems. Um, yeah, you know, I, I'm still somewhat cautious if I think it aids the readability, particularly if I've got a method that's longer than I would like it to be, yeah. um, or an expression that's not as obvious as I'd like it to be, then sure, use an explicit type. But yeah. a lot of the time, yeah, but yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, not that big a deal. What do you guys think of poly for handling uh, transient errors? I like it. I yeah. think there's a, there are a lot of really, really good patterns for handling errors, especially in distributed systems, implemented in Poly. Mm. Uh, so Poly's a open source project. You know, Carl's company's involved in it. Dylan yeah. Reisenberger and, and a number of people there. Uh, it's got circuit breakers. Yeah, circuit breakers that reset. That's right. Try um, and wait, wait and retry, wait and retry yeah. forever with the back off on retries. Yeah, um, exponential. I think it's a, it, it, it implements a lot of really good patterns, especially for distributed microservice systems. I think Both it's head. it's awesome. Yeah, it's good. So, and I, there's a rumor that it, uh, the guys on the .NET Core team are thinking of rolling it in somehow. I, I don't They're talking know. about I it. Can't, I can't. I know that. Yeah. yeah. And I don't so, think no. I'm breaking any rules by saying that. I think they're talking about it. Okay. Right. Yeah, we'll find out in yeah, a few we'll days. we'll find out. There's, yeah. pro there's probably a GitHub issue that would track it if yeah, it is. You know, it's, yeah. a, it's another sort of interesting reality that doesn't seem like there's actually any secrets left. Because in reality, if you go th read through the notes yeah. on GitHub, Every idea, every conversation, every debate, it's actually public. It's just that most people don't read them. Hmm. There's 
that's been fun. And, and there's some really interesting things there is that, um, Mads is, is officially keeper of the language design meeting notes mm -hmm. and is very careful to put those out publicly, but without any names attached to them. Mm. Interesting. So, so all the opinions are there, at, but it doesn't say who said what. It just that's, says, it that's becomes how it the opinion of the room right. rather than the opinion of individuals. Or several opinions of the room, yeah. but not of yeah. a particular individual. But and, the discussion's more important than the identities. Yes. Yeah. And, then, and it's and, not all the discussion either. Um, so we have the same. Uh, sort of how public do we want to be for the ECMA standardization? You know, sure. We use GitHub issues for that. We have you know, hundreds of issues. Mm. Um, and currently that's private, even though the standard is public. And we have talked about, well, we could open it up. We could open it up read only, etc. And um, we thought that to avoid chilling effects of, you know, someone, I've, I've written a bunch of stupid things in there. It's mm -hmm. like, well, why doesn't this work? Oh, because of, it's usually Neil. Neil is fantastic at, I will say something stupid, and Neil will come back very politely and oh, say, you said right, he well, here is the, the counterexample to your suggestion, John. Right. Um, so we don't want a chilling effect. And Mad's taking a time. He doesn't publish the notes immediately either. It's not like he drafts them during the meeting uh, anonymously and then immediately publishes them. Mm. It takes a little while so that they can... So that the important things rise to the surface of his mind. Right. Right. Uh, apologies, Mads, if I'm mis uh, misrepresenting you here, but I think this is what I remember him saying when we discussed this in yeah. for for a little while, because I found it a very interesting process to get all the good things of public debate and public awareness of reasons behind um, the decisions that are made without any stifling of discussion debate. Yeah, that's great. Right. And yeah, sort of avoiding the political pressures around that. Yeah. And mm -hmm. certain names and weights and things cause. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's very yeah. thoughtful. Yeah. Uh, it's Matt's. Of course it's Yeah, thoughtful. of course. It's very thoughtful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Hey, guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to suggest a, a new language, a dumbed-down version of C-sharp, as we were talking about, with all just the, the features that John Skeet wants. It's called C-dull. <laughs> C flat? No, C dull, I think. <laughs> Either way, it's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I've never heard crickets like that before in my <laughs> life. <laughs> you die better than anybody I know. And there, are, and there are millions of people in this room. I know, millions. It's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, uh, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. And check out their DevExtreme React grid, built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM and state controllers like Redux. It supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing. You can check it out and test it for free on GitHub. But learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com slash superhero. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Mark Broadhurst. Congratulations, Mark. Let's give him a round of applause. Oh, golf class. Big class. Big round of applause. <laughs> And Mark just won the D-Experience subscription. That's a big pile of awesome for my friends over at DevExpress just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you want to know what that is, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member picked at random. But you got to sign up to win. All right, guys, it's been a while since we asked you this, at least a month or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was last September, I think, in, in yeah. my case. Yep. Uh, so if you had $5,000 to spend on technology, what would you buy? After you, Bill. Oh, gee, thanks. I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> nice. Jeez. Uh, you know, I really want to get a drone to like, kind of fly over oh, and see what's DJI going on Phantom. there. Is you're up in Maine now. Yeah, so yeah. we're up on a river 
water around. I want to be able the to get up to sea. The ocean's not far from you. Nope, the ocean's about a quarter mile. We don't yeah. have sight lines there, so getting out to the ocean would be hard. Yeah, you can get the goggles too. You got five grand to spend. We can yeah. get the full remote rig going for you. I'll yeah. tell you, I've been flying. I've got the Coast Place now. I've been flying my Mavic Pro, and looking down on the sea life is dramatically different. You can see a lot more information. And if you screw up, you get to buy a new drone. That's right. <laughs> Being up in Maine, you could torture the tourists with something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. How about you, John? Uh, so I didn't get to go to Scott Huntsman's talk this morning oh. about building a Kubernetes cluster of Raspberry Pis. Um, but we were talking afterwards about, you know, that sounds quite fun, but I quite like a slightly bigger Kubernetes cluster of um, Intel NUCs. I have oh. a couple of Intel NUCs at mm-hmm. home for benchmarking node time uh, because at the moment I'm not quite convinced and I need to actually test this. I'm sort of paranoid at the moment. Um, if I do benchmarking in the cloud, Will that provide stable results or will there be noisy neighbor issues and, oh, we've upgraded all the CPUs. Oh, none of your benchmarks are worth anything right, anymore. Right, right. Yeah. Um, well, it must be hard if you have a bunch of nooks to test node time that you actually have to fly them to different time zones in order to <laughs> test them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but nooks run, I mean, 500 to 700 bucks a shot. So right. I mean, you're not going to get so that many of them. build a Kubernetes cluster of sort of six or seven of them. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. can start sucking up things yeah, that's, that's pretty cool um, so that'd be quite yeah. fun and you can heat a room too yeah <laughs> well it's quite handy that my shed being a shed mm. um you know i have a couple of nooks and a mac mini and uh old laptops that aren't actually on but certainly you can notice um i'm sure it doesn't get as cold as it would if those weren't running yes um and definitely if i've got two laptops so work laptop and personal laptop running all day um I'm pretty sure that pumps out a significant well, and if it's amount never, of heat. If it's not warm enough, you could run some SETI at home work units. Yeah. yeah. Get those yeah. CPUs pinned for 15, 20 minutes and warm that place right up. Yeah. Or just pull up Chrome. Cheap shot. Cheap shot. That's not right. That's not right. So let's talk C Sharp some more. What are you guys at Google doing with C Sharp? Uh, so we're still making Google Cloud Platform rock for C Sharp developers. Uh, so at the moment, focusing on ASP.NET Core applications, making them run beautifully on uh, App Engine Flexible environment and uh, the Kubernetes engine, yeah. what used to be called Container Engine. Um, yeah, and I work on the API client libraries. So we have you know, Vision APIs and Speech APIs, and there's Firestore coming and yeah. all, all kinds of things. And I try, try to make that as pleasant an experience as it possibly can be. The idea is to give the illusion that I have handwritten all the libraries <laughs> for all the APIs. Um, in reality, yeah. there's a lot of generated code behind the scenes that we thought very carefully about yeah. how we can generate things. Um, and then we've designed it so that we can tweak things only additively. You know, partial classes are fantastic for this. Yeah, but if we've sure. got, so, um, if I've got a protocol buffer class, generated class for an image, for the vision API, I can just add some static methods to that to say, oh, create me an image that represents uh, this URI or fetch it from a URI and get the actual bytes. Yeah. And it can be just much, much nicer to the use than if we only had the generated code. Yeah. Well, it's good stuff. I've used it myself and uh, love it. I mean, you guys cool. are doing Thank great you. things with it. Yeah. What is the underlying language of a lot of those APIs? Is it more of a uh, well, it's, uh It's protobuf. Uh, is described as a protobuf grpc service right um so we then it goes through an extra level of configuration saying hey this this rpc over here even though it's just an rpc and it has a request and a response it's actually listing resources and it's got page tokens and you know you can get the first 10 and then ask for the next 10 etc and we say okay well now that you've told us that's a list of resources yeah, yeah. We'll just generate code so that you can iterate over it transparently, or you can get it a page at a time with a certain size or you know, whatever you want to do with, with that. But the idea is it should be easier to use than if you're using the raw RPCs. Hmm. Sure. And, and friendly to the C-sharp typeset and, you know, all uh, exactly, those exactly. Yeah. Well, I was, like I said, I was blown away when I got this Chrome uh, plugin app or a Chrome app, I guess called uh, voice note voice memo something like that um, and it's essentially you just turn it on and start talking to it and it did the best job of of recognizing speech without any training uh, that, of any technology that I ever used it was really cool. great yeah nice. I did get results yeah okay you can clap 
I did get similar results after with uh, Microsoft Speech recognition just on the client, you know, because you're sending stuff up to the cloud and using the power of Google to, to translate that stuff in real time. But, uh, but I had to train it. You know, I had to train right. Microsoft's thing. And after I trained it for a while and did, went, you know, through the speaking exercises, the accuracy really improved. But it was just great to just pull this thing up right out of the box. It reminded me of Battlestar Galactica, which is the first time I ever saw, you know, Commander Adama talking to the thing. And it was typing away and I thought, oh my God, that's so cool. Right. Wouldn't that be great? That's the old Battlestar. Yeah, the first about. one. Yeah, the 80 yeah. Battlestar. When Dirk Benedict had hair. That's that, right. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you seen the Starbucks and Starbucks and Starbucks? <laughs> it's awesome. I have it, but I know what it is now, right, and it exactly. makes me happy that it, it makes exists. Me happy yeah. That yeah. It exists. Uh, yeah, that's put a brilliant. link to it on the show notes. <laughs> I will. More inside Absolutely. jokes. Sorry uh, for not being inclusive. Kay. Katie Stockoff is awesome. Oh, that brought the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> You're the one that mentioned Battlestar Galactica. That's true. I, yeah, and, I then I, and then I ran with it. I blame myself. Uh, one of the thoughts I'd had around C-Sharp being open source is that we could get to a place where the bulk of the community just doesn't want any more features, that we could declare done. Something I felt like Microsoft could never do. As long as it was closed source internal, if you didn't ship a new version, the product is dead. But if you put it out in the wild, you put it out in, uh, in the world, and we agree that this is where we want it to be, then it's not dead, it's right. Hmm. That's... That's an interesting question. Interesting, that's, encouraging, yeah. that's, and scary all at the same time. I'm not sure whether being open source is necessary for that. Is it just psychologically? I, I think it's completely psychological. Yeah, yeah. and it, right. so there's two or three different points I really want to address there. Mm -hmm. um, the first one is with any of the projects that go into the .NET Foundation, you know, from inside Microsoft or from community that wants to put it into the .NET Foundation. Sure. It goes through the advisory council and the board, and we talk about it, and, and we decide. A role you are involved in. A role yeah. I am mm -hmm. on the advisory council, mm -hmm. uh, along with uh, Sean Walker is the lead of that, John Galloway, and it's He's split. The director. Yeah. You, know, you could read the whole bylaws, but it's split between community members and Microsoft people, and so I had to sit on the other side of the table when I joined Microsoft. But one of the things that we are very adamant about, both from inside and outside Microsoft, is Anything that goes into the foundation, that's not a way to make abandonware. Right. Right. It's right. like, oh, we prototyped this. It was kind of cool, but we're not supporting it. Open source. There you now, go. Yep. That, that will not happen. Yeah. So some of our gates are, you know, Carl knows this working through with sure. FNX. Who's leading this? Who are your active maintainers? Yeah. What is your plan and your roadmap and so on? It has to have a life. Okay? Right. Yeah. But it can have a life without, uh, C Sharp could continue to have a life even if everybody agreed, right, it's done now, yeah. and people can continue to write great apps yeah. in C-Sharp. Sure. Even it could be done as a language, and there can still be improvements to Roslyn, mm -hmm. maybe sure. you know, making it faster or whatever it is. Yeah. Security yeah. constraints. I mean, yeah, that the idea that there wouldn't be a flow of new right. features. Right. Yeah. So, so there's that first part that says that. Now, how do we contend with that issue around the foundation feeling that it's healthy, even if we don't have a huge backlog of features? Now, that's actually one of the other things that we talk about. There are things that are, you know, what new features do you add, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, there are, so we thought about this pretty carefully, and that one of the things that was originally in the list of, well, are you going to take this in, was, well, there's active PRs over the last six months that at some, some rate we'll come up with. And we decided that was a really bad idea because some projects just are mature. You'll get a few bug fixes and so on, right. but there's no need to go, boom, here's a whole new thing. Yeah, if you're not turning out 12 of these a quarter, right. we, right. we don't yeah. consider you And there can be spikes right. of activity. I know from <laughs> no time, which is you know, largely just me, not entirely, but largely just me, yeah. there will be spikes of activity when I'm not writing C-sharp in depth. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so this has got more to do with your work schedule than anything yeah. else. Where I could also see on other projects is when when a major security build comes out, there is a flurry of, of work course. to make sure mm -hmm. you're protected from yeah. those, right. those particular Do you think people might have been busy recently with that? I'm just thinking a little bit. Yeah. Teeny, uh, maybe a bit. Huh. Yeah. teeny little problems. You know, and there's spikes to react to other things. We've been really happy with people adding .NET Core support and moving to .NET Standard and so on and so forth. But, you know, and that's – so we want things alive enough that those things are going to happen. Sure. And there could be other platforms being right. added, that, that so, kind of thing. So that's the first part. Now, the second part then is we want C-Sharp to stay relevant. 
So yeah. does that mean new? Fe- and, and it is a balance. Yeah, no, I think it's you know, very and, interesting. And I think Mads has often said, you know, every new feature starts with minus a thousand points because right. it's work, it's changing the language, it's, it's backward complexity. compatible yeah. complexity, and it's potential future complexity. Yeah. I think right. one of the things, mm-hmm. one of the points I wanted to make in my talk yesterday and ran out of time with, in terms of understanding the impact of decisions, is when you're designing a language, you need to understand that every new feature you add is potentially going to uh, conflict or interact with every feature you haven't yet imagined. Right. Yeah. So, you know, designing a language to start with is playing two-dimensional chess. Yeah. Mm. And then adding another feature is three-dimensional chess. And then adding another feature is four-dimensional chess. And if you look at overload resolution, I've mentioned before that the, the spec is currently inaccurate. The standard is differently inaccurate. Yeah. And we have tried <laughs> to fix it. It's around, th- there are bits of the spec that says, if the number of arguments you've passed isn't the same as the number of parameters, then overload resolution fails. Like, well, optional parameters? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, looks like we forgot to fix that up. Okay, this should be a, oh no, but then, but then, but then. Yeah. And it's really, it, overload resolution seems to be the nexus of all possible problems. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it, it is the, it is the, it is the biggest area. This stuff exists oh, and yeah. it works. Oh, yeah. You just need to do a bunch of empirical it, research to actually figure out how it functions. Uh, if we could have some way of extracting Eric Lippert's comments <laughs> in Roslyn. There, there is a search there. If you look for, I think it's spec, it's either spec deviation. Um, mm. There's There's something like that where every time he implemented something that was in Roslyn that had to be compatible with the pre-Roslyn compiler but right. didn't match the spec, he put a comment there. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they are findable. I can't and remember the exact a, phrase right now. to do, this isn't quite right. No, yeah. it's yeah. A probably a page of comments explaining exactly why it's, it's got this the way. section, yeah. Yeah. it's right. got everything in there, and yeah. It's Eric Clippert. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. He is off to the guy. Just yeah, yeah. And, 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 and he, was, he was pretty adamant with it. He's like, we thought when we were doing this, it might get open source. So it's yeah. trying to be really thorough in, in mm-hmm. all those things. Just aware of those aspects. Yeah. Um, you know, my concern always is if somebody's been involved with software for several decades, it's like you keep adding features because that's how you made money right. until you run out of good ideas. And, and then, then you and keep adding them anyway. Then you get into <laughs> the bad ideas because bad ideas give you two versions. One where you put it in and one where you take it out, <laughs> right? Like that's actually very profitable. And, but we're now in an open source world. And talking about people who've been around for a long time and we know that we need to keep learning. So sure. you're talking about keeping the language relevant. How about keeping people relevant? We know that people will have to keep learning all kinds of other things. Maybe sure. we could take the burden off learning new language features. Hmm. Right. And, and there's other places to go, right? We certainly could be going across more platforms. We certainly could be building better test harnesses. We certainly could be building abstractions for simplification. Like there's, there's many possibilities there if the underpinning pieces weren't shifting steadily. Yeah. None of which is to say it's a bad idea to add stuff. It's no. just the barrier, the bar is really and, high. And, and I think I just question the ongoing value proposition. Well, so let, let, let's put the features in a couple different buckets. Okay. And so the the point releases now are getting these small little fixes to things, mm. which they have a few interesting, nice properties. In general, ref ref stuff is a little bit different. In general, they're they're pretty small in scope. They don't affect major parts of the language, like touching overload resolution or so on. Mm. Right, you know, type in, you know, in, inferring tuple f- member names doesn't hit a lot of places because mm-hmm. there's only a couple different right. declarations where that'll happen and it's scoped to when they are tuples and when the names are and so on. It's, so it's pretty focused. Async main, really focused. There's one spot where that's right. going to hit. Now, if you look at the major number releases, Anders has, has often said, you know, my team builds your productivity, right? That's our product. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you look at the the one feature that's been demoed for C Sharp 8 is the idea of non-nullable reference types. And adding that, you know, there are languages that already have that feature, but it was baked in from day one. Right. right. Adding non-nullable reference types to C Sharp with all the body of code that's out there and really thinking about where is that right spot between this is so benign that you don't really see the warnings that we really want you to see mm. or so hits you in the head that, yeah. you know, you and get the new compiler. Errors. Yeah. Well, or if let's say we just turned everything on and now every reference is non-nullable. You're going to get Boom. screens full of yep. error messages the sure. first time you try the compiler and nobody uses it. So how do you design the language feature 
and the intelligent static analysis to look at mm. where you were using these variables to go, this is or isn't null, and get it close enough that the actual warnings you get are small enough in number that you go, I'm going to turn this on because this is fixing bugs. Sure. Right. And yeah. where it's telling me stuff, yeah, those are real There's bugs. Worth, they're worth looking at. Right. Yeah. Huh. They're not just overwhelming. And, yeah. And that's a, you know, and, and, and as Mads has put in his, his design notes, there are billions of lines of code out there that are already tested against null. We don't want to warn you about those. You've got guard clauses around them. Yep. We want to find the ones you didn't. Mm -hmm. yeah. So in big language features, I think what we're going to see is, is to continue to work for something that's a really big win that really changes the way you write code every day. And I'm fairly satisfied that the team is really working hard to make sure that it is a big win and it's done right. right. Yes. So yeah. one of the yeah. features that might be in C-sharp 8, we have seen before because it was slated to be in C-sharp 6 and then maybe C-sharp 7 of record types. But because the team weren't happy enough, it's clearly a potentially big win feature. But unless you get enough. it right then it's going to cause more problems. Well, briefly, can you describe so what a record type record is? So, yeah, record types, yeah. um, this actually was one of the features that I requested in my C-sharp 5 talk, mm. was I love anonymous types. You know, they give me uh, immutability um, equals to string. They're great, but they're anonymous. Uh, I want named anonymous types. Mm. So, all the benefits of <laughs> anonymous, anonymous types, but with names. name, exactly. Exactly. Right. exactly. Um, and a record type is basically that. So, you say... I want a record type of person with first name, last name, and strings. Oh, I see. And then okay. it generates all the boilerplate garbage so, for yeah, you. So, so the proposed syntax, would you would say class, person, open parent, string, first name, comma, string, last name, close parent, semicolon, and that generates the whole class with all the stuff you think is going to be uh, in there. Oh, yeah, okay. Nice. Okay, yeah. so cool. And, and this gets to where we were talking about, where these larger features touch more parts of the language. Mm -hmm. Now, just from that description... People are immediately going, this is cool. Yeah, yeah. I love like, it. A lot of stuff around the type. All right, now what happens if I derive from person? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Right. What happens if I want to make person sealed? Yeah. What happens if I want to derive a type with behavior from person? What mm -hmm. happens if I suddenly now have a lot of behavior I want to add? How do I evolve, How do I evolve this person record sure, type right. into a class so I can add new methods in it? So all of these things get into a very hard question of, is this the right syntax? Mm -hmm. What if person should implement an interface? What if it's derived from something else? What if you just don't let people do that? I mean, right. you can't kind of, right? And, well, and, and then it gets to, as John says, well, now that's a nice feature, except it's really not that useful. Yeah, it doesn't right. matter. Right. Yeah, yeah. So if we're going to do it, make it so it really is big. I don't want to leave tonight without talking about the humanitarian toolbox because we have, you know, two big guys who actually are very involved in it, Richard and, and Bill. Some of us are bigger than others. Some bigger yes. than others, yeah. I used to be huge. Um, <laughs> Bill, tell us, tell us uh, briefly, what tell everybody what it is and then what you guys are doing. All right, so Humanitarian Toolbox is a charity registered in, in the United States mm -hmm. that enlists developers to help us build software to support disaster relief and disaster preparedness organizations. Uh, Steve Gordon, one of the people who really helps us with uh, Already projects, is in the front row. Thank you, Steve, for all your hard work on Already, um, along with James Chambers, who's in Canada, probably, you know, doing his Canadian things now. And um, lots of other continents. Canadian right? things. Canadian things. Really? Yeah. Hey. But curling, playing <laughs> hockey, hey. being he cold. Does. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, so we're doing a lot of things there. The, the application that's had the most work is Already, which helps any charity prepare run a preparedness campaign so find everybody in a certain zip code make sure they have smoke detectors mm -hmm. or make sure they're prepared for a power outage or whatever it may be and the red cross in chicago has used it and piloted it a couple times mm. we're going to be adding other charities we're actively looking for other charities that run those kind of campaigns so Instead of just asking developers in the audience, do you want to help write code? If there's a charity that you are really passionate about that runs campaigns where you need to know geography and you need to know to reach people in a certain area to make something happen, shoot us an email and uh, we'll try to link up the charity with the software and, and make them more efficient. That's really what we want to do. Yeah. And what was your role, Mr. Campbell, in getting this thing off the ground? Well, you were there, my friend, uh, 
when we were planning the 2012 road trip uh, in the summer of 2012, uh, the organizing group we were working with asked us to make sure there was a charitable component to our tour. Right. And uh, if I had had any sense at all, I would have said, hey, matches dollar for dollar for United Way. <laughs> but instead, I, I rant on a rant, as I am prone to doing it time to time, about how difficult it was for software developers to contribute their skills to charity. And I knew great developers that had picked a charity that mattered a lot to them and had committed dozens, if not hundreds, of hours of time to building things. Because we all know that that software is not just writing software, that it's mm-hmm. it's collecting requirements and it's figuring out what people actually need and testing things and maintaining it and doing tech support and all of the complexities therein. And I think most volunteer developers, they're responsible enough to not do it because they know the scope of the, of the commitments actually necessary. And could we build an organization that would take that piece off the table? They would say, if you've got an hour that you could spend on our software or a day that you could spend on our software, that's a valuable, a useful contribution. You can, you can make a meaningful difference there. And don't worry about the rest. We'll do the rest. Yeah. And so that was really sort of the vision around that particular piece was that uh, there was an, there's this great untapped need. I think people want, not every piece of software you write for your job delights you. That can speak for yourself. Yeah, it can have, it can, <laughs> it can, can be particularly meaningful. And, and so the opportunity to write software that saves lives. Yeah. That has that impact that you can choose on your own time in your own way and be part of a larger piece of action. You know, the, I, our experience working on the podcast and talking to people all over the world, often the only developer in the room, only developer they get to see every day, that, that the podcast is their contact with the rest of the world. Well, now we've met some of those developers contributing to our projects that have been parts of literally hundreds of developers contributing mm. to a project so that they are part of a larger whole that they might not be able to get other ways. And, and these developers are all over the world and they, they, they check in things. You can go to GitHub and what is the htbox.org and just And so one thing we're doing now, the show will probably come out early enough to at least still get people driving toward that, is we're working with Microsoft's MVP program. They've been very, very supportive of us over the years. Mm-hmm. Myself as a former MVP and RD, Richard as well, um, is we're driving toward trying to get people... F- from as many different regions in the MVP program helping us out with the software. So That's great. if you're an MVP listening, contact your manager, your community Just manager, what do they call it? Yeah. Um, and we've got volunteers who are helping in different regions. You know, one thing we hope to get from this since we started in North America, reaching places all around the world, I am almost certain our software isn't localized very well. No. I think that would be a Pretty safe sure. bet. Right. We want to be able to help people all around the world. We can't do that if it's only in English. So we'd yeah. love to get help from people in other parts of the world that can help us internationalize the software. You guys doing a hackathon while you're here? Uh, we did not this time. You are. So I was, we weren't able to organize it here, but uh, through the graces of, of Steve Gordon and, and Mag Dex, we are actually doing something on Saturday. So I'm staying over for the weekend. We'll... We'll take off on Friday night and head down there to Brighton, which I've never been to, so I'm excited to see it. Yeah. And get to spend a day with a, I think it's sold out. It's a group of developers cool. very excited to contribute. And so we'll have some fun and write some code. We've got a good stack of work items here. Again, you know, you talk about the the plumbing part of running mm-hmm. a good project is yeah. getting it organized so that there's work items that people can pick up and contribute so that you could get to delivering a useful pill request in a day. Right. And that's what I love. So I haven't contributed to humanitarian toolbox. No, but, but I pulled but you there in. There are things. Yeah, I, I've been involved in no time <laughs> discussions and things. But what I love about it in concept is that it's not delivering a product. It's delivering a toolbox. Yes. And that it has to be sustainable because there's nothing worse than, hey, someone's built this awesome product and then they have either lost interest in it yeah. um, or... They just can't do it with other commitments. Yeah. Um, and that all that value is gradually lost. That's still, yeah. if I can tell that story, just to embarrass you a little. Oh, so we're working at this, we're working on this yes. And we're doing this thing and, and one of the developers is going to implement no to time because we're having time zone issues and no to time works and it just does that. And he's gets part way down and he's stuck. And I think you contacted yeah. John. But there was sort of this conversation going on in the Slack channel about, the complexities in no to time and they were trying to work it out and I said, would it help if we could 
ask Mr. Skeet about it. And, they and said, all of a sudden, yeah. you see this, this thing oh. at the bottom of the channel, because not everybody's in the same room. John Skeet just entered the room. <laughs> and then there's this question, and he just starts answering. And he speaks, and he spent he, a good hour with yeah, them that time, I? John. Yeah, yeah, it was a while. It was quite a, and, then, and then he put his cape back yeah, on and, and flew away. And, then, <laughs> and the and other then, guys on the Slack channel were like, well, was that John Ski? Yes, that was John Ski. See, that was really John Ski? Yes, but the embarrassing part is, that's a failure. If I needed to be somewhere. I knew you thought that way. Then that's clearly a failure in Nota Time's documentation and all And there was a conversation I had after the fact with a number of the developers. They're like, well, how is this possible? It's like, do you know the service you did to John to show him the challenges of this tool yeah. that he loves hmm. that a developer picking up from scratch hit this wall so he learned today as much as he talked today yeah. so you know it's all mutually beneficial and it helps, oh, absolutely kind of helps that I have your phone number so. <laughs> <laughs> well but, uh, yeah it was great it was a, it was a very funny it was moment. fun let's give these guys a big hand for the humanitarian toolbox thank you and let's also thank John Skeet and Bill Wagner for being our guests tonight And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks! .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter van.